Another Way to Play, Episode 80. I'm not one who's really afraid to fail. And I accept that as just part of the process. And I always have confidence that things are going to work out. This is Kyle Sullerud, founder of AdLeg.com. And if you want to learn to make the next chapter of your life better than the last, then you should be listening to Another Way to Play with my good friend, Hans Struzina. Welcome to Another Way to Play, your wake-up call to finally make a difference by creating a life defined by freedom. This is about entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and industry professionals that have left the 9-to-5 rat race behind by taking that personal leap from where they were to where they want to be. It's time to stop going through the motions, stop hitting the snooze button on your life, and get the insight and inspiration to make the next chapter of your life better than your last. This is Another Way to Play with your host, Hans Struzina. This is Another Way to Play. I am your host, Hans Struzina, and I believe that if you trade hours for dollars, you will never achieve true freedom in your life. Today's guest is Kyle Solarud, founder of AdLeg.com, which provides training, software, and done-for-you services for Google Ads and YouTube ad marketers. Uh, he's an author, speaker, consultant, and host of a podcast called Google Ads Strategy. Although he did not start in that space, in fact, he started, among other things, as someone who was selling things on eBay and was always kind of into some hustles as a kid, uh, took that passion and ultimately found the strategy, but as you'll hear in the episode, didn't go straight into the marketing world. Uh, in fact, out of college, he worked for a typical nine-to-five company that uh, went through an acquisition and uh, ultimately found through the book Rich Dad Poor Dad that he really didn't want to live a nine-to-five life and instead wanted to be more of an entrepreneur. Through a multitude of pivots and just taking action and trying to figure it out along the way, he eventually learned Google AdWords at a very high level, offered his services on Fiverr, which eventually took off and just led him to the path that he's on today. So in this episode, we get into uh, some of those lessons and uh, certainly that journey that he took, which was quite an interesting one. A couple of things that he really highlights is simply failure is part of the process. He's not afraid to fail. I mean, actually considers it something that is important uh, so that you can learn from it and pivot and grow. He also made a few expensive mistakes in his early ads career. And instead of letting that get him down, use that as fuel to the fire of figuring it out so that he wouldn't ever waste money again. Guys, if you are getting value out of this show or any others, head over to iTunes, leave me a rating and review. I'd really appreciate the support over there. And if you want to connect with me, uh, head down to the show notes. I've got my Calendly link. Uh, I'd love to get to know you, figure out how I can keep providing value to you as the listener. So I really appreciate you. Thanks in advance for doing those things. And um, without any further ado, let's bring in Kyle Solarud. Kyle, thank you so much for being on the show today. Really appreciate it. Glad to be here. I know on your end, you had to brave some pretty crazy weather we were just talking about before we hit record. So thanks for braving that. But um, we kind of got into your story here a little bit on the intro. People kind of know what you're doing now. But let's back it up and talk about where your journey first began. Let's build a little context of how you got there. Yeah. So if I really think about it... um, 
so really I, I define myself now as, as an entrepreneur, right? So my story as an entrepreneur began before I, way before I realized what that was. Um, when I was a kid, really, I was always just hustling and, and doing stuff uh, to try to kind of run a business. I would mm-hmm. sell uh, baseball cards. Uh, I'd sell pogs. Um, that probably can kind of date my age a little bit. I was just always uh, looking for interesting ways to make money, running lemonade stands or selling peanut butter and jelly sandwiches on the side of the road, stuff like that. Into high school, that kind of stuff continued. Around the time I was about 14, 15 years old is when eBay really started. And that was around, I guess, 1997. And I got in on the ground floor of, uh, of eBay and started looking for things to sell. When I ran out of my own stuff to sell, I started asking friends if they had stuff to sell and actually started a, a quote unquote company and made these little certificates that would give my friends share in my company mm. if they would give me their stuff to sell on eBay. And uh, ended up paying all my friends back with the return before I finally kind of stopped doing that. What kind of shifted my focus away from that was music. I got into music and band pretty heavily in my later high school years. And uh, I was a trumpet player, decided I was going to go on and be a professional trumpet player. So that's what I went to college for. And really that became a focus for like the next 10 years. And I didn't do much with entrepreneurship. I think largely like no one really pointed out to me that I was an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. None of my guidance counselors at school suggested maybe there is a path for an entrepreneur. Like the path from school is to go to college. I did fine in school. I had good grades. So naturally everyone says, you know, go to college. That's the path. There's no other way according to uh, the, the system and the structure. You know, eventually made it through that and uh, took about eight years to get a four-year college degree uh, just because I, I took some time off within what I was doing. I took the minimum number of credits just to kind of coast along. Eventually made it through college, got a corporate job working for a company that ended up getting purchased by eBay and uh, eventually figured out I just wasn't meant to be there. I wasn't supposed to be working at a job like that, making someone else rich Mm -hmm. and decided to go out on my own. It's interesting that you had this bug early on as someone who was selling cards and pogs and then selling on the internet via eBay. I mean, I, I remember when eBay first came out, I was like, frankly, frightened of it just because it was so unknown. It's like, oh my gosh, how do you sell or buy things on the internet? This is crazy. Granted, I was young at the time and didn't even have money, but just the concept freaked me out, frankly. But then you didn't translate that into sort of a career choice, at least immediately out of school. Is that just because you think that, as you said, there wasn't really a apparatus in the system to sort of identify you as an entrepreneur or, or someone who can start their own business? Or was that something else internally that you weren't sure you could do it? So I think 
for me, it was more, it wasn't even about the money. Like I was just having fun. I was um, biking around to, to garage sales. Yeah. I was not old enough to have a license. Yeah. I would sell things uh, and then bike to the post office and mail them out. I was making a little money, but probably not enough to really notice like, hey, I'm making a lot of money here. I should keep doing this. Right. Um, perhaps with some guidance, I could have figured out how to really make a living out of that. But yeah, it, for me, it was just kind of a phase and it was fun, but it wasn't anything that I saw anyone else really doing. So I guess I didn't see it as a, a viable like career path at the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that having that exposure to other people who are doing something similar or exactly what it is you're trying to do, regardless of the age, can definitely push you in a direction. And for many of us, it was just graduate with the best grades possible and get into the best school possible and then go get a good degree and do some internships and and so forth and so on. So Mm -hmm. you're you played trumpet, which is, I mean, that's a pretty cool story. I don't think I've ever had anyone on the show or really known that many people in general who played trumpet after college. It's always something you think people go and play in a band um, at school, you know, marching band or something like that, but then they kind of pack it up and, and go get a job. Like how did, how did that portion of your, your music career kind of lead you out of, out of school? So I didn't really play after college and I certainly wouldn't okay. call it a, a music career. Um, I was just the best trumpet player at my high school. And because of that thought, maybe, you know, it was, it's fun being the best at something. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of what led me to really enjoy it. Um, right. And then want to do it in college. Well, I went to a college with one of the best uh, trumpet programs in the whole country. I didn't even make it into the trumpet program my freshman year, uh, but I practiced like eight hours a day and made it in my second, my sophomore year. Wow. Now it was probably good that I went to that school because uh, it really showed me I wasn't the best trumpet player, Uh especially not really compared to everyone else. Um, I still enjoyed it. I still kind of gave it a go. By the end of college, though, I'd realized that this isn't something I was going to make a living at Mm -hmm. and really didn't know what I was going to do, but just kind of finished it out, finished out the the motions of college. And then I just kind of lost my interest in it, really. I uh, haven't picked up a trumpet since college. Once in a while, I think it might be fun to do again. Yeah. But uh, it hasn't... It wasn't passionate. I wasn't passionate about it enough to be one of those people that just kept playing their whole life. If I pick it up, that might be fun, but it it has fizzled out, at least as of now. Interesting. I mean, if you were practicing eight hours a day as a freshman, I mean, there's certainly some determination and some goal orientation that you possess that is pretty unique because I... I mean, as an athlete, you know, I I saw plenty of people who had some talent in high school or college, but then never took it to whatever the next level was. And a lot of them just decided, you know, it wasn't for them. And hey, it's not a, you know, it's (laughs) just not something I care to to pursue or put in the effort to to do. And you, you clearly displayed that in your music, which then obviously you got wherever you wanted to get and it was time to move on. And we all have those moments. So you leave college, you leave the music world, 
And where do you go next into this company that was then bought by eBay? Right. So it's basically the company name was GSI. I think they've changed the name since, or maybe it's been completely uh, um, engulfed by eBay. I'm not sure, but it was a company that did uh, customer service for for different websites, for e-commerce websites, things like uh, ToysRUs.com and like MLBBaseball.com, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's not the exact website for MLB, but basically we did customer service for these internet websites that they basically had the brand, they sold the merchandise, they outsourced to the customer service. Got it. So I actually started as a, someone just on the phones handling customer inquiries, moved my way up to a, a manager position and more of a, a brand relation position where I worked with the clients of the company uh, rather than working with the customers that were calling in. So that was fun, like working my way up, doing that whole thing. Um, it just kind of got to a point where I had realized, so, so there was one kind of initiative that I was involved in where we were trying to uh, improve the, uh, how do I explain it? We were trying to improve part of the, the what the customer service team did that mm-hmm. would then lead to more profits for the for the company, more mm-hmm. profits for the client. I did that and we, we calculated the added revenue was like an extra twenty five thousand dollars a week or something like that. Wow. Based on this initiative that I spearheaded. My reward for that, like absolutely nothing. Wow. It might have looked good for the next promotion that I applied for, um, but I didn't get any part of that extra revenue that the company was now making. Around that same time, I was also exposed to uh, Robert Kiyosaki mm-hmm. and his book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Oh, yeah. That book was a game changer for me. Um, mm-hmm. it, it made me realize all these years, I was an entrepreneur. I was not supposed to be working in a job for someone else. I was supposed to be doing my thing. That was the book that did it for me. Within a few months of reading that book, I bought a a triplex, like I bought a rental property. Uh I was still working at this job, but I was kind of starting to to figure things out and and look for more alternatives. So that was kind of the transition point for me was, was reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, uh, getting frustrated with the results that I was having on the business and the asymmetrical reward that I was actually getting out of that the, on the low end because I wasn't getting right. the reward. Right. And then um, from there, I, I'd st- I started uh, a business with a friend of mine where we basically would go clean out foreclosed homes for banks. Banks yeah. needed these homes cleaned out. Uh, they'd and, hire us to go in and, and do that. And what timeline are we talking about when this transition happened? Like what 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 year approximately? So this is around uh, 2012, I guess. So 2013. Right, right in the thick of the financial crisis is relative yeah, we were, to we were coming out of it by then, but but yeah, there were lots of foreclosures around. So I started that business while I was still working full time job and. Uh, I do what I could, but it was mostly my partner and a couple employees that were out doing the work. I was doing the the office back end type of work mm-hmm. at, in the evenings, 
And eventually just, I, I really was not making any money with that business, but decided it was time to give it my all and just, and just see what happens. So that's mm-hmm. when I quit the job, really making no money with this foreclosure cleaning business. So backing up to the rich dad, poor dad moment, because that seems pretty pivotal, but you had this experience of basically having your eyes open to a new way or at least a defining something that maybe you had already felt, um, but it just put words and parameters on it. You then took that and took action pretty quickly by buying a, a, an investment property and starting a company and then not too long after going full-time into said company. Mm-hmm. So can you define a little bit more for us what that book or what that transition was like for you uh, mindset-wise? So I, it was really exciting. Um, it really just fired me up to, to know that you know, here's a guy telling me that there's different ways to make money in the world. You can work for someone else, you can run your own business, you can have investments that pay you. And hey, here I am in a position, I, I have a, a good job, I can afford to invest in a rental property. Let's try that and just see what happens. So I guess more than anything, it was really just kind of exciting. It was, mm-hmm. it was something new that seemed, it made a lot of sense to me it made sense that this is the direction I should be going is away from, I don't remember exactly how you defined it. Like the the four quadrants of, of how people make money, but it was away from working for someone else towards working for myself and being in more of an investor. Right. The, the employee, the solopreneur, the owner and the investor. Yeah, right. the, like I, feel, I think those are the four or roughly there about mm-hmm. the ideas the same though. So really it just, it was, it sounds like that was the first time for you that, that you had, I don't know if clarity is the right word, maybe clarity is the right word, but you had, you finally realized like, this is what I've been feeling ever since I was selling those pogs and selling stuff on eBay, but I just never knew how to apply it into quote unquote real life. Cause it, at that point for you, it was more of just for fun and a hobby. Now it's like, Oh shoot, I can actually make money, not at a salaried position, not trading dollars for hours, but going out and and creating other streams of income or starting a business or doing something else. And it sounds like you took the leap very quickly thereafter. Right. In that amount of time, like these people who you started this this business with, um, were they similar to you mindset wise? And then you guys came together after after the book to then start that company, or like how did you get partnered up with them? And and where did that group come from? So it was really just one partner. Um, okay, and I'd say he was more of a a worker. Right. He's a really hard worker, knows how to get the job done. I wouldn't say he had this same kind of entrepreneurial spirit that I had. So that kind of came about because he was working for someone else doing this foreclosure cleaning thing. Yep. And so he was kind of observing how that business worked. And um, just in talking to him, we, we thought, hey, we could do this and we could probably do it better. I'll run the business side of it. You run the field work side of it. You do all the all the work on these houses, 
And that's kind of how the partnership um, really was formed. And, you know, we're still friends. We're not in business together anymore or anything like that. But um, Mm -hmm. we were very different when it came to our views on business and really what what had to go into it. I, I couldn't have started that business without him. I had no idea how to, how to do the work. He probably couldn't have started the business without me because he wasn't as business minded about things. Mm. So it really sounds like as opposed to just finding your sort of contemporary in the sense that you had um, somebody who, who thought like you entrepreneurially or otherwise, you found sort of a compliment to, to who you are and what your skill set was. Um, and that's where that, that business came from. And really where I was going with in the, in the question, which, I mean, you sort of highlighted something different, which I think is important to recognize, which is find people who compliment you, not who just totally agree with you. Because, you know, <laughs> if you guys all like doing the same stuff, then the stuff that you guys don't like doing, no one's going to do. But where I was going with the original question was, it sounds like when you started to get some outside influences into your life and started to like expose yourself to something like rich dad, poor dad, it gave you the sort of clarity to define something that you had had a hard time sort of putting your finger on and and moving towards. Were there other sort of influences or mentors or anybody like that, that, that played a big role into your story? Yeah. So if, if we, move along. So this foreclosure business wasn't really making a ton of money. It's unpredictable because we're relying on banks to send us uh, work orders for these jobs that they want us to do. And I'm trying to figure out how we can make this more consistent. So that's when I started to look into marketing and uh, figured out that Marketing isn't going to help me get more work from banks. I need to find something that we can market to consumers. Uh-huh. Around that same time, I, I saw, uh, I think it was like a CNBC story or something about 1-800-GOT-JUNK, mm-hmm. giant mm-hmm. junk removal company, and said, hey, like this is basically what we're doing. If we do the same thing for consumers, now I have something that I can market. Mm-hmm. I had been listening to a, a podcast called I Love Marketing, uh, Joe Polish and Dean Jackson. Um, that's really where I started to get my marketing education was from those guys. And um, now that I had this thing to market, I had uh, this junk removal service that I could market to anybody. I was able to start applying some of these things I was learning with marketing and um, actually like started making money and was Mm -hmm. able to, uh, to have actually a viable business. Interesting. So, because you had this problem of, of consistency. And so to you, the easiest point was to, to go to the end consumer. And again, once you had that inspiration through, through the podcast and that exposure, it sounds like that's when the light bulb went off and you just moved towards that, towards that new direction of, of kind of a B to C engagement as opposed to more of a B to B if we're going to put those titles on it. And you're starting to market though, but where like up until now you haven't had a whole lot of marketing in your story, it sounds like. So where did, 
I mean, was it like a trial and error thing? Were you just out there putting up signs and trying to throw ads on the internet? Like how, how did that work? And then, and then where did that progress into? Yeah, hundred percent trial and error, but mostly error. Um, just really trying everything that I could think of to advertise this business. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of which didn't work partly because of like with the medium, we just didn't stand a chance of it working. And partly because I didn't necessarily have the best marketing message that would really pull people in. Mm-hmm. So we tried things like um, running ads on the radio, mm-hmm. um, putting ads in local magazines, newspapers, Facebook, Craigslist. Uh, we mailed postcards. We mailed coupons in packs that go out to people in the mail, Mm -hmm. uh, along with other businesses' coupons. Uh, We walked around and hung up door hangers. We set up booths at local uh, trade shows, like construction company trade shows. We basically tried everything that wasn't overly expensive. Like The only reason we probably didn't run a TV commercial is because it just would have been too expensive. So you really just got your hands dirty with just about everything. I I was kind of checking off boxes in my head as you were listing those. I was like, I don't, I, I can't think of anything else that that you're missing there, except for the TV, <laughs> of course. But wow, so most of it didn't work. But what did work, and and how did you start to gain some traction there? So what what worked was uh, postcards worked really well. Just, uh, I figured out how to buy uh, lists of addresses of people in certain zip codes of a certain uh, income level that had a garage on their house, things like that. Yep. And we'd mail postcards to them. Um, but mostly though, what worked was, uh, was Google and search engine stuff. So we did a lot of uh, search engine optimization. Um, something I, I kind of knew what it was. I wasn't a specialist at it or anything, mm-hmm. but I knew enough to name the company, the name of my city plus junk removal. Mm-hmm. That was the name of the company. So when people searched for junk removal in my city, uh, my business would come up and we actually had like nine out of the 10 listings on the first page of Google. Wow. It, it helped that there wasn't really another junk removal company right, in right. town. But that helped a lot was just having that name clearly defined that we were a junk removal company. So if anyone was searching for what we did, they would find us. Right. And then also uh, starting to run Google ads too, which just complemented the organic search engine stuff because now I was able to just guarantee my company was at the top. I could target different keywords that we didn't necessarily rank for uh, organically and was able to, uh, to attract more business that way with the paid Google ads. So really where you're at now was born through trial and error for the junk removal company and was just sort of a, a sounds like a pretty natural process that, I mean, there was clearly some just common sense logic behind it. Like, my city name plus junk removal. Like that's a pretty, a pretty basic one, which I mean, you'd have probably have to be a little more creative now than, than you would then I would imagine with AdWords and such, but you sort of learned through necessity 
this process of, of advertising online. And is that what ultimately took you in the direction that you're in now? Yeah, absolutely. So I just enjoyed it. I, I have a, a kind of a knack for like working with numbers. I was always good at math and, and working with spreadsheets and stuff when I was in school. Mm-hmm. Once you put a dollar sign in front of those numbers, that got me even more excited. So mm-hmm. dealing with uh, with Google AdWords was just something I I enjoyed and I liked the the control of it, like being able to make a change to an ad or something or target a new keyword and immediately I could see the results that that was having and mm-hmm. that that was bringing more people to my website. Got it. Then there's a new spark, a new exposure, which I, I see as a theme through your story. So you're, you're tweaking, you're, you're putting new strategies in place, you're throwing more money behind certain things or whatever the case was. And then you're getting this direct result, which obviously leads to, to profits, hopefully. And it sounds like in your case, it did. When did the shift happen out of junk removal explicitly and into more online marketing broadly? So one thing that happened is we opened a second uh, location, a second junk removal location in a completely different city. And in order to get business there as as quickly as we could, because that was going to be harder from the organic search engine optimization, I was going to take longer. So to get business there more quickly, we relied heavily on Google ads. Mm -hmm. I made a mistake early on with a setting that was recommended by Google's system that said, hey, do this and you'll get more, uh, more traffic. I did that. Uh, what happened was I, I got a lot more traffic, spent a lot more money, but it was not good quality traffic. It mm-hmm. didn't convert into any customers. Um, so I had this, this huge hit on our credit card bill and we're still just bootstrapping this thing and didn't really have a lot of money to waste. And that's really what drove me to want to learn this platform as as good as possible. I didn't want to make a mistake like that again mm-hmm. and just basically waste hundreds of dollars. So I, I started this learning process of reading books about Google Ads, looking at different articles and stuff online. Decided the, the best way to learn would be to, to get more into the thick of it and not just work on my own account, but to see if I could help other people with their accounts. To do that, so I realized I had gained more knowledge about about Google AdWords than almost anyone had, uh, even just working on my own account. So I knew I could start helping other people. I was confident in that. I threw up a gig on Fiverr.com to set up accounts for people, to set up their whole campaign. Something that now I charge thousands of dollars to set up somebody's campaign at that time, it was $5. Someone could pay me to set up their whole campaign. Wow. And I would make $4 on that because Fiverr takes a percentage. Yeah. <laughs> um, so obviously, I wasn't doing it for the money. I was just, just trying to, uh, to learn. And through that process, I was getting good reviews. The campaigns I was setting up for people were working. Fiverr just kind of started to snowball. Um, for, for a long time there, if you typed in Google AdWords, 
you'd find my gig at the top. And pretty quickly, I was able to charge more than $5 too. Yep. Not a lot more, but like went up to $25 and then um, I don't remember, $50 or, or something. But what was actually starting to come out of that is I'd set up these campaigns for people and then they'd ask me, like, now what? Now can you run this for me? Can you, can you do this for me? And I'd never really thought about that as a, a possibility, but when people started asking me about it, I started figuring out how that would work and what that would look like, how much I could charge people, mm-hmm. what they would expect for that. And um, that's really how this all, this, everything I'm doing now started accidentally by people asking me if I could do this thing for them that I didn't even know anyone would want me to do. That's really interesting. I mean, as I'm sitting here listening to you talk, I'm struck by your story of just sort of taking action consistently. Like I'm sitting here taking a couple notes and I'm just, every step has sort of led to the next one, but not necessarily in a, in a way that was obvious when you started it. And there's clearly a trend of like, I'm going to, for example, start AdWords for myself and then I'm going to throw it up on Fiverr just to keep getting more practice and refine this. Then that's going to blow up. Then those people are happy and they start asking you for more services. And then it's like, how do I figure that part out? And it's not like you set out with the intention of being an AdWords expert or creating a firm around that, but that's ultimately what happened through the actions that you took and just taking whatever that next step was in front of you, it sounds like. Can you talk to me about that mentality real quick and, and sort of if that was the point of what you were always doing, just taking the next step or if there was a bigger strategy in play or kind of your mindset around that stuff as well? I guess I've never really thought about that. Um, I just take action on stuff, I guess. I'm, I'm not one who's really afraid to uh, fail. I accept failure. It, it certainly happened to me a lot in my life. And I accept that as just part of the process. And I always have confidence that things are going to work out. So if I have an idea for anything, yeah, I, I take action on it and just try to figure out what needs to happen. If, it, if nothing comes of it, that's fine. That's part of the process. Mm-hmm. Once in a while, something big will come of something that, I, that I've done. That's amazing. And it's just sort of, sometimes it's like that, just jumping off the cliff without necessarily knowing how to fly. Like just taking the action, starting the business, putting up the first ad account, you know, launching the first YouTube video, whatever it is, and just going because it's like that learning and that pivoting that happens as you go is really where, where some of the sweet stuff comes from. And clearly, you know, you, I don't think coming out of college, you know, having come off of your trumpet playing career, you would have ever sort of mapped this out in any meaningful way <laughs> or not, not even that you could have, but here you are. And it's all due to the actions you took and the learning that occurred along the way. Yeah, hundred percent. And that's awesome. Thank you for for sharing all of that. I want to respect the rest of your time. I know you've got a family, you've got a business to run. Um, so I'm going to transition us into the last segment of the show called the Focus Five, which is the same five questions I ask every guest on every show. Are you ready? Let's do it. 
You've alluded to it before, so we'll see if your answer changes, but what book have you gifted most often? So for non-business owners, yeah, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. But for, for business owners, for people who are already entrepreneurs, Profit First is the book by Mike okay. Michalowicz. Great. Awesome recommendations. If you could get an hour of somebody's time, past or present, live or dead, and ask as many questions as you wanted, who would that person be and why? Uh, Jeff Bezos. Because as much as I can, I just try to surround myself with people who are doing bigger things than me. And nobody's doing it bigger right now than Jeff Bezos. There's probably no one whose time is more valuable So let me just try to bank on that. Right on. What is one thing that you believe most people would disagree with you on? So for, and this may be unique to my business, but I think um, most people would say that when you're working with clients and you are, you know, you have leads coming in, you have clients that are, you're communicating with that Uh you should be ultra responsive and people should be able to get a hold of you whenever they want. Um, they should be able to, to call you, text you, whatever. I, I think that's what mo- how most people feel about mm-hmm. a client relationship. I am completely the opposite on that. There's not a single client that has a way to immediately get a hold of me. Mm-hmm. They can't call me. They can't text me. I do all my communication through email. And um, clients are aware of that and they, they accept it. And especially when they realize that, you know, yeah, they can't get a hold of me whenever they want. But also mm-hmm. when I'm doing work for them, I can't be interrupted with that work either. Mm-hmm. By eliminating these interruptions, by making it almost difficult for people to get a hold of me, at least instantly, I'm able to really focus and do the work that I need to be doing to to uh, move my business forward and, and help move my clients' businesses forward. That's a really interesting perspective. Thank you for sharing that. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. How do you start your day? I usually wake up about uh, 7.30 once the kids start coming downstairs to get ready for school. I don't set an alarm myself. Um, the kids set their alarms and then I hear them when they come downstairs. Yep. I used to be an early riser and I just found I got so tired later in the day that it, it wasn't a good trade-off for me. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd, I'd have some extra time in the morning, but I'd almost lose that in the afternoon when I couldn't focus. So now, just get up 7.30, uh, help the kids get off to school, come into my office, Uh, work for the whole day, just Mm -hmm. focus on work, head home, focus on family for the rest of the night. Wow. Very simple and to the point. Kyle, thank you so much for your time today. What is the best place online that we can connect with you the most? So if you go to my website, adleg.com, you can browse around, see the the different uh, services and training programs and software that I offer all specific to Google ads and YouTube ads. Um, Also, since this is a podcast, I'll mention I have a podcast you can find called Google Ads Strategy with Kyle Sellerud. You can search that up in any podcast player and you should find it. 
Google Ads Strategy with Kyle Solarud on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, as well as adleg.com, all in the show notes, guys. Uh, so easy to connect with him and go find all of his information there. Kyle, thank you so much for being on the show today. Really appreciate your time. Really appreciate your story and the advice that you've given us because I really loved hearing it and uh, hopefully it provided some value to the audience as well. Yeah, thanks a lot, Hans. This was, this was fun. You asked some questions that I haven't really thought about in a while, so it's fun to dig into that. That does it for today. If you want to hear more about Kyle's offerings around YouTube ads or Google ads, head down to the show notes. I've got his website, adleg.com, as well as a link to his podcast that he puts out on that exact topic. Uh, So you can go connect with him in both those places. And while you're down there, I'd love to connect with you. So grab a time on my Calendly link. Uh, Let's have a chat. Let's get to know each other. I'd love to hear how I can keep providing value to you through the show um, because it is a lot of fun, but I am doing it to, of course, provide value. So I'd love that feedback. Speaking of feedback, if you're getting value out of this show, but you're not able to connect directly, head over to iTunes, leave a rating and review. I do read all of those. Would love that feedback there. Uh, Plus it helps me uh, keep growing the show. So without any more uh, formalities, this is Hans Strazina, host of Another Way to Play. And remember to make every chapter better than the last. Thanks for joining in for this episode of Another Way to Play, making the next chapter of your life better than your last. For more insights and inspiration to help you make that personal leap, be sure to engage with Hans on social media and get your questions answered right here on the show. Reach out to Hans at Chief SNAH on Instagram, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Another Way to Play. Thank you.